Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Listen, I I know Easter Sunday I said, hey, this is the grand finale. We're wrapping up Irresistible, and we tried to end it. Um, Pastor Kevin came to me that week, and he said, you know what, man? We could go here, and we could continue on what you said. And I said, man, that's good, so let's end it the next week. And so Pastor Kevin ended it last week, and so I started preparing for the sermon that I had that I thought I was going to do today, and as I started preparing, I just couldn't get irresistible out of my, out of my spirit, and, and so today we're going to stick in irresistible. It's not out of the book, so this is not referencing to the book, but it's along the same lines, and so we're going part eight irresistible right here. Uh, in fact, I'm going to buy jump drives hopefully this week, and we're going to put this entire series, all eight sermons uh, on a jump drive and either give them away or uh, maybe $2 a jump drive, something like that, because I think everybody needs to get a hold of this <coughs> and get it in their spirit. Amen? Man, I appreciate that big amen. That was awesome. That was awesome. But we're going to continue today. And when we're thinking about irresistible, the thing that Andy Stanley says, uh, it's on the front cover of the book, is it's unleashing the new or reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed for the world. So it's reclaiming what Jesus, so this is not a new thing. This is not a new concept or a new theory or, hey, we got this great new idea. This is what Jesus established that somehow the church has forgotten. And so we're going to go back into, and we're going to talk about the irresistible concept and what makes the church so irresistible, what made Jesus so irresistible. But the church plays a huge Huge, powerful role in this. Amen? That's a good place for an amen, because that's you. So the church plays a really powerful role in, in bringing the kingdom of God, establishing the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. The church is a force to be reckoned with. Big amen? Come on, the church is powerful. And a long, long time ago, the church was absolutely irresistible. The church did unbelievable things. The church was unstoppable, but the church today somehow has gotten a hold of their own. What happens is you begin to kind of think, well, I know you believe this, but I kind of believe this. And so there starts to be all these splits and and factions and, and things go all over the place. And there's so many belief systems out there. Right? Come on. If you don't know that, then you've been stuck in a hole your whole life. But there are so many belief systems. I mean, probably when you tell people you go to the exchange, they probably ask, so what does the exchange believe? Right? They want to know which stream or which flow. I'm going to tell you today what the exchange believes. And it's exactly what Jesus taught. 
That's it. What Jesus taught, period, were not no additives, no added flavors, nothing like Just what Jesus taught, period. But the church is remarkable. The church was remarkable. It still is remarkable today, and it still is unstoppable. Do you believe that? Say amen. And I'm going to prove it to you. So today we're going to do something, and I'm going to preach from a, in a style that I've never done before, but I just want you to amuse me and go with me on this. But we're going to time travel, okay? I think this would be fun. I like time travel. Did y'all ever, like, how many of you grew up kind of in a Christian home, you know? Okay, so actually not a whole lot of us. <laughs> so this, this uh, picture might not work, but when I was a kid, there was this thing called Superbook. Anybody ever hear of that? All right, two of us. Amen. Praise God. Superbook was these little cartoon characters, and they would open this book, and they would jump into the Bible, and they time traveled to whatever story it was. So they're reading the story of David and Goliath, and they're talking about it, and they're sucked into the Bible, and they appear. And now they're Superbook, they're normal clothes and stuff, but they've time traveled back to this era. And I've always thought that was really cool if they could, if you could actually do that. So today we're going to do that. So just appease me here. But uh, what we're going to do is you and I and five of your closest friends or family members, whoever you prefer to travel with. So the seven of us, we're traveling back in time. And the year is 82 AD. And we're going to the city of Rome. Dun, dun, dun. That, this is where I need background music so bad. Just whatever. Thank you. Thank you for that music. We're going back to the city of Rome. So we show up. Obviously, people are freaking out. We don't look the same. We look funny. Uh, everything's changed. We come back from the, we've come from the 21st century. So we look different, and everyone is watching us. Everyone is staring at us. When we show up in 82, the emperor of Rome is Emperor Domitian, okay? Now, Domitian is a really, he, if, if you know anything about him in history, he's a really, he turns out to be a really awful guy. But so we show up, and Domitian is the emperor. Domitian is the son of Vespian. So if you know, if you've, a lot of this is all history. Some of this you studied in school. But Vespian was a Roman general who Emperor Nero sent to Judea to destroy the Jewish rebellion, okay? The Jews, were, it was rising up. They were becoming powerful. And so Emperor Nero sends the general, Vespian, to go to Judea and just take out the Jews and destroy them. And this is in 70 AD, okay? So Vespian goes, and he starts doing that. While Vespian's there destroying the Jewish rebellion, then Nero is assassinated. So Vespian comes back to Rome, and he becomes the emperor. And he leaves his son, whose name is Titus, there in Judea to finish besieging the city, to knock down the two exterior walls of the temple, and to destroy the temple. That's what Titus's job is, to finish the job, okay? So now it's 70, 71, up to 73 AD. So <coughs> Vespian dies, and Titus now comes, and Titus now becomes the emperor in place of his father, Vespian. Titus's brother is Domitian, okay? Titus is emperor for a couple years, 
and then Domitian now becomes emperor. Then we show up in 82 AD, and when we get there, Domitian is that emperor. That was a pretty good sound effect, huh? I didn't even practice that. I didn't even practice that. That just happened. That was live. Live. So we show up, and Domitian is the emperor, and we're standing around. We're, we are awestruck at just the culture, the atmosphere, the look. I mean, everything has changed. We're in Rome in 82, okay? So we're just kind of standing there with our chin on the ground. Everybody's talking. We've only been there for a few minutes. All of a sudden, someone walks up to us and invites us into the Colosseum because Emperor Domitian got news that we were there, and they invited the time travelers into the Colosseum. They were just finishing up celebrating 100 days of games, and so Emperor Domitian says, bring them to the Colosseum, and they can celebrate with us. So you, me, the other five, we start heading out of the, he leads us out of the Roman Forum, and we're headed to the Colosseum. As we get closer to the Colosseum, suddenly we see and we walk through what is called the Arch of Titus. Now, the Arch of Titus was constructed actually very, very recently from when we're there. We're there in 82. It was built in 81. And the Arch of Titus was built by Domitian to commemorate his brother and his father's victory over the Jews. Okay, just 12 years earlier. Now, as we walk through this archway, you look up. <laughs> so if we're walking this way, you look up right here to your left. And as you look up, you notice some artwork etched out inside the monument <coughs> commemorating the moment for the Romans when the great city of Jerusalem was sacked and the vast riches of its famous temple was plundered. So this right here, that graphic to the left, that is, that is a picture that they've etched out in this archway celebrating, celebrating the fact that the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple, not only destroyed the Jewish temple, but they stole everything out of it. Completely looted this temple. Eventually, we pass through that and we're escorted through the VIP gate of the Colosseum where we're greeted by hundreds of people partying. I mean, there is a party going on. There's tons of people on this patio. There's food from everywhere. There's curious senators and slaves and escorts. And of course, seated right there on a temporary throne is Emperor Domitian. This is a really, really powerful moment. I mean, we get goosebumps when, when we walk into this place, understanding the history of who this is and, and where we're standing. They serve a lavish meal. It's got exotic meats, exotic fruits, more eggs than you can imagine, and enough wine to float a ship. You ask for water, and I remind you that the water here will probably kill you, and so when in Rome... You get the picture? So, we don't really speak the language. You don't speak the language. You don't understand Latin. But somehow, in our time travel, we've discovered that I actually learned how to speak Latin. This is my story. Just go with the story. Okay, somehow through time travel, 
I understand and I can speak Latin. And so this is this really powerful moment, but you don't understand anything. And so you're looking around this huge party, everybody drinking and celebrating, and <coughs> you're reading people's body languages. You're trying to figure out what they're thinking, what they're saying, what's happening. You're people watching. You ever do that? Man, I love to people watch. Shelly and I just went to San Antonio last week, and we went and ate in that tower, the Tower of the Americas or whatever, in the chart house, and, and it's that, you know, it spins, the floor spins the whole time you're eating, and there's a couple down below us, and so for about five or ten minutes, we just made up their conversation. We got into a fight and everything, and I was trying to get him to storm out, but he never left, and it was a great conversation we were having. But um, so I love to people watch, and that's what's happening. We're in this Coliseum, and you're people watching, wondering what's about to happen, what's going to happen next. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, this messenger comes up to us with a message. He says something to us. You don't know what he says because you don't speak Latin, but I know what he says because somehow I got this miracle through time travel. And he says, I have a message for you from the emperor. Emperor Domitian, he would like you to stand and tell us about our future, the future of Rome. We want to know what does Rome look like in the 21st century where you come from? Hmm. Okay. I immediately look at you. You look at me as you're not real sure what he just said. I'm looking at you because I know that if I don't get this right, we could become the gore there on the Colosseum floor, you know? We're in his house. We're in his party. And I've got to choose my words wisely. So I stand up and I say this. Your excellency, to understand the future of Rome, I must first rehearse a bit of recent history. And then I say this, on the way to the Colosseum, we were so excited, but on the way to the Colosseum, we saw the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Titus was amazing. It was, I mean, you did a great job, Domitian. And, and we saw this Arch of Titus commemorating your brother and your father's victory over the Jewish rebels. That was amazing. But while it is true that the Roman legions decimated the Jewish rebels and the Jewish people, and while it is true that they destroyed to the ground the, the Jewish temple, the God of the Jews actually escaped unscathed. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. As difficult as this is going to sound and as hard as it is for you to believe, <coughs> Rome, the empire, eventually will embrace the God of the Jews. The God of the temple that you just described. Rome eventually is going to embrace that as their God. And eventually Rome will discover that all the gods that you currently worship are not gods at all. Think, come on, think about where we're at. A future emperor, and I'm saying this to Domitian, a future emperor is actually going to rise up and, and he's actually going to destroy all the temples in Rome made to other gods. 
Another emperor is actually going to rise into power, and he's going to stand up, and he's going to disband the priesthood. He's going to put an end to the priesthood. Actually, he's going to make it illegal for you to even make animal sacrifices to another god. It's done. Wow. The crowd at this point erupts. Everybody's talking. Everybody. I mean, it gets so loud in there. You look at me wondering, what did you just say? What did you just say to get all the, this reaction? It's ridiculous. It's crazy. What did I just say? Domitian, he, he leans in looking at us. All his Victorian guard, they're standing with their hands on the sword waiting for him to give the cue because they're about to take us out. And he raises his hand and he silences the crowd. Everybody goes silent. He looks at the Victorian guard and he tells them, wait. They take their hands off the swords. They look at us and he asks this question. How? How? How is this possible? How can this be? There's no way. No way. I mean, think about everything that they've just seen the last 12 years. Think of their dominance and their power. And I'm just telling them that the, how? At this point, silence. And I say, Emperor Domitian, in order for you to understand that, I have to take you a little bit further back in in history. It's 50 years. I'm going to take you back 50 more years the reign of Emperor Tiberius Caesar in the land of Judea, there was a man who came out of the wilderness and his name was John. And John proclaimed that the Jewish God was about to do something in the world for the entire world. This is what this guy was proclaiming. He was an unseemly character. He attracted large crowds, people from Judea and Galilee, all over. They came out to listen to this guy speak. He had a nickname. His name was John the Baptist. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth, Domitian. And then at that time, I say, you know what? In fact, I see emperor in your crowd. I see Josephus. We know Josephus. Because in the, in the 21st century where I come, just come from, Josephus is a famous historian. And Josephus writes a lot about John the Baptist. He can confirm everything that I'm saying. This is not Bible here. He can confirm everything that I'm saying. And he writes about John the Baptist. And he, he, he can tell you everything that I'm saying. But eventually, John, John the Baptist got sideways with Herod Antipas who's the son of Herod the Great, and Herod Antipas had John the Baptist beheaded. But before John was beheaded, he announced this, that there is something greater coming after him. There is something even greater than he was. And this is a big deal because John had a lot of authority, a lot of power at this time. All the leaders in all of Judea, they begin to wonder if maybe John was proclaiming to be the Messiah. Maybe he was the one that the Jews had been waiting on for a long time, that the Jews actually believed was going to come in and overthrow Rome. I'm saying this to Domitian. But John said, no, 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 no. I'm not that one. I'm not that one. But there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me that you need to keep your eyes on. Because there's one coming after me. And sure enough, just before John is beheaded, 
Jesus of Nazareth appears on the banks of the Jordan River. I mentioned that name, and Domitian kind of sets back. He recognized that name. He's heard that before. Jesus began to preach, and he, he spoke like no one has ever spoken before. He announced a brand new kingdom. He announced a kingdom that was not of this world, but a kingdom that was going to touch down in this world, and a kingdom that would influence the entire world. He was a miracle worker like John. And, and like John, he, he attracted tons and tons of people, crowds of people. And eventually, he also, like John, got sideways. But he got sideways with his own people. His own people, the Jews, they, they turned on him. And, and, and then they, they tricked him. And they had him arrested. And they beat him. And they condemned him. And, and they eventually crucified him under Pontius Pilate. I see in the crowd, Domitian, you also have Senator Tactus. And, and Senator Tactus, he also, from where I come from in the 21st century, he's a famous historian. And he knows all about what I'm saying with Jesus. He writes all about all these things that I'm telling you about Jesus. He can confirm the things that I'm telling you. They didn't have the New Testament back then, okay? They weren't ready. They couldn't flip through and see exactly. But these, these, these historians write, are writing about it. He can confirm these facts because after Jesus had been buried for three days the way that Jewish people measure days, after their Passover, the tomb was found open and it was found empty. People immediately assumed that maybe it was grave robbers, but that didn't make any sense because people that were robbing graves were robbing the rich graves. Jesus wasn't rich. He was a rabbi. He didn't have anything to steal. In fact, when they went to the grave, <coughs> to his tomb, it wasn't the items that he was buried with that was missing. It was his body, Domitian. His body was gone. And within days, there are rumors. And all of a sudden, people were talking about he's been spotted. He had been seen in Jerusalem. He had been seen in the vicinity of Judea. He had even been seen around Galilee. It was first, at first it was just a few individuals talking, but then it became groups. Then it became dozens of groups. Eventually, hundreds of people had proclaimed that they actually saw Jesus alive. Yes, the resurrection galvanized the courage of his followers, and they, they spread the news that, in fact, as Jesus had said while he was alive, and he said again after he resurrected, and listen, church, hear this. He said, the kingdom of God has come. Domitian didn't get that. He didn't get that. Not then. Sometimes I wonder if we get that. Because he said then the kingdom of God has come. For us, that's past tense. Okay? Not is coming. One day will come. He's saying the kingdom of God. It has come. A kingdom not of this world, but a kingdom for the entire world. And Jesus, this resurrected rabbi, is in fact the king. I finished telling Domitian this. And, and his followers would actually go beyond just king. They actually declare Jesus is their Lord. His closest followers were arrested, beaten, and many of them even put to death because they stood on that message. 
They were persistent. And their confidence was convincing. Their confidence was contagious. They had seen with their own eyes. They actually had meals with this guy. They actually talked to this guy. They listened to the resurrected friend, the rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus. They saw him. They talked to him. Domitian, you know that even right now in this city, believe it or not, there are citizens, slaves, men, women, freedmen, visitors who are meeting all over the city right now in their own apartments, in their own yards, under trees, by the river, who currently right now are worshiping Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Domitian just turns his head. I go on and I said, for the next 230 years, your great empire will use all of its power all of its might to try to stamp out this Nazarene sect. But your efforts ultimately will fail. That should give you goosebumps. Your efforts, your, the, your powerful Roman Empire, it's going to do everything, everything it can to stop this movement. You already destroyed their city. You already destroyed their temple. But ultimately, your efforts over 230 plus years will fail. And although Jesus of Nazareth never got to come and visit this great city in the 21st century where I come from, his name, his likeness, and his symbol will adorn buildings and houses all over this great city. Emperor Domitian, as impossible as it must be for you to imagine, one day, over the very gate that you entered the Colosseum in through just a few hours ago, there will hang an enormous cross, an enormous wooden cross that will no longer represent the ruthlessness or the power of Rome, but in the 21st century, where I come from, it represents the power and the love of Jesus Christ. See, right now, today, where you're at, it represents something completely different. Where I come from and what I can tell you about the future is it doesn't represent that power anymore. It represents who Jesus is. Now, I stop and I look around, and as I look around, the place is speechless. This is impossible. The cross, a symbol of love. Their temples throughout the empire destroyed. No more priesthood, no more animal sacrifices. Jupiter now replaced by the God of the Jews. A Jewish rabbi, dead 50 years, worshipped by the empire that executed him. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? A Jewish rabbi, he's dead and gone. We, he, we, we took him out, destroyed his temples. His own people took him out. And now he's dead and gone. We haven't even seen him in a long time. And you're telling me that, that this empire who destroyed that is going to worship him? Before they could respond, I continued and I said, Oh, great Domitian, as for you, in your future, you will be known primarily for your reign of terror. 
Okay, you will be known as the emperor who threw feasts lit only by the light of Christians hanging and burning on a cross surrounding the party in which you were throwing. That's your legacy. In fact, Domitian, you and along with all the other Roman emperors will be reduced to just a paragraph or two in modern history books with one exception. And that exception is the great Caesar Augustus. His name will be referenced every single year in homes and in places of worship all throughout the world, but not in recognition of his great accomplishments, but his name will be referenced within the context of the story of the birth of the Jewish Savior. Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus as a footnote in the story of the birth of the Jewish King. Jesus whose words eventually will be collected and distributed more widely than all the Roman emperors combined. And as impossible as I'm sure this sounds to you, Domitian, Jesus of Nazareth will be the most influential and revered man that ever walked this planet. See, it's easy for us to say amen. We're 2,000 years, we fast-forwarded this, and we're looking back. But then you're going to tell them that this Jewish rabbi that they got rid of somehow 2,000 years later, people are still, still worshiping that guy. They're still talking about that guy. You're out of your mind. And as the emperor, and this emperor Domitian is the future of your glorious empire. Rome is not eternal, but there is a God who reigns eternal. It was his temple your brother destroyed. It was his son that your governor crucified. And it was his sovereign purpose that your empire advanced. Woo! Mic dropped. If I had a mic in that moment, I would have mic dropped. And then I sat down. The whole place is silent. This is unimaginable, impossible for them to believe. This goes beyond offensive. There's no appropriate response. But all of a sudden, very slowly, I'm staring at Emperor Domitian. He's staring at me. The Victorian guard's staring at him, just waiting for him to say anything. And as we're locking eyes, I see this crack in his face. And it gets bigger and it starts to turn into a smile. Next thing you know, he just burst out in laughter. Laughing his head off. The whole place, they obviously get their cues from him. So the whole place starts laughing. They don't even know what they're laughing at. But he's laughing, so they're laughing. And the five of, the six of you and me, we're standing there. And everybody is rolling on the floor. They're kicking each other and hitting each other and high-fiving each other. This is crazy. And they're laughing their heads off. <coughs> All of a sudden, the emperor stands up, and he silences everybody. He takes his cup, and he holds his cup up, and he says, I want to propose a toast to the great storyteller. Brilliant, brilliant. You had me believing right up to the very end of your tale. He cues the music. 
The music starts playing back up, and he makes his way over to our table. When he gets to our table, he just, he's just laughing, and he's, he's shaking our hands, and he says, man, you guys, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. He thanks us for coming. He just honors us, and he says, listen, listen, tomorrow night, you have to come back again. You have to be my guest, but this time, no more of these far-fetched stories. This time, I want you to tell me the truth. Okay, I want you to tell me the truth. I really want to, I must know what the future holds for our glorious empire and for this, our eternal city. You see, my friends, what happened, not what was believed, but what actually happened was absolutely impossible to believe. What actually happened, and listen, and I was trying this week to think of how to express this. I really don't know how to express this anymore to you as the church, to people. But what actually happened back then is impossible to believe. No one could possibly dream up what actually happened. No one could plan or orchestrate something so completely ridiculous. But what happened was exactly what Jesus predicted that would actually happen. In the region of Caesarea Philippi, surrounded by a group of people with no future, no hope other than simply surviving under the heel of the Roman Empire, Overtaxed and misled by religious leaders, Jesus <laughs> stands up to address the crowd. Okay, now in this crowd, you got to remember, there's all kinds of people following him. There, there are the apostles and there's the, the, the uh, disciples and then just the normal crowds that kind of followed him. And he stands up and he's talking to his ladies and gentlemen, listen, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Have anybody ever heard that verse before? Do you, now, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I can somehow paint a picture for you for you to now understand what that verse is talking about. Because Jesus says this, I will build my ecclesia. Now, you hear a lot of people say, I will build my church. And they translate it. And that's fine. That's okay. But that's not really what it means. Ecclesia is gathering or assembly or group of people or body of people. So Jesus is saying this, I will build my body of people, my gathering, my assembly of people, my people, and the gates of Hades, you've probably heard it translated, and the gates of hell, right? That's not a good translation because that's, that's actually a terrible translation because Hades doesn't mean Hell, it's not talking about an eternal conscious torment. It has nothing to do with that. But Hades is actually translated the realm of the dead, a present dwelling place for all that has deceased. Okay, so when it says, when he's talking about Hades here, this has nothing to do with hell or whatever. This has everything to do with dead, death. And he's saying, I'm going to build my gathering, my body, my people, and even death. You can kill me. You can stop the air from flowing out of my body. You can stop the blood from running through my veins. But even death will not stop my movement. Not even, come on, that is powerful. This had to sound hollow and thin and so unbelievable standing right there in the blazing hot Syrian sun. But Jesus meant what he said, that not even Hades, not even death 
could stop the movement that he was starting to build, the ecclesia. God showed up in history with a plan. See, because what God began and what God has continued through the ministry and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is linear. And we've got to understand that because God shows up in history with a plan. And so because of that plan, we now have so much to look back on. We have so much to reflect on and see where we came from. We have so much to appreciate and to think that now we are just a small part of what God is doing in our generation of the church that all, that all began thousands of years ago. Right there, I mean, if we were back in time and we were at 82 AD and we're standing there in front of Domitian and we're telling him about this incredible church and we told him about today, what it looks like today. People all over are gathering on, on these, what we call Sundays. And they're gathering and they sing and they worship and they praise this Jesus of Nazareth. The guy you, they, it is unfathomable. I cannot possibly believe it. We have such a privilege being a part of what God is doing in the church. And it's our job, it's our obligation to carry this. It's what wakes me up in the morning. It's what keeps me going when things get difficult. But we've been invited to this grand narrative that no one could imagine. No one could have orchestrated. But actually, my friends, it happened. It really actually happened. And it happened around the teachings of this Jewish rabbi whose words should never have survived the dusty, nasty, old first century. But here's my concern, and this is kind of where I'm going this morning with this. My concern is this. <coughs> if we continue to take it for granted, it might vanish. I used to say this all the time, but if you abuse it, you might lose it. You ever say that? If you abuse it, you might lose it. That's kind of how I feel the condition of the church could be. Because we've started abusing this thing called church and, and we've started abusing powers and saying things and manipulating things and using this powerful force that Jesus established, this ecclesia, and we've kind of manipulated. And when I say we, I'm not saying you, so don't get all offended with me. I'm saying as, as a whole, the church has taken what Jesus established and we started manipulating and twisting it to fit our own agendas. And what we've done is we've started stabbing people with it. We've started wounding people instead of healing people. We've started letting people know that they're not qualified to get into our club. They're not good enough to be into our club. You don't act a certain way or your kind of people don't fit until you change. And we've just twisted this church. If we continue to abuse this awesome privilege, we have this powerhouse of the ecclesia that Jesus established, we might lose it. See, some of you are concerned about making America great again. Why not? Some of you wonder what making America great again even means. Sure, okay. But here's the fact. We all want a great nation. Okay, if you don't really, then maybe you should move, okay? But I, I'm just saying, 
don't we all want to live in a great nation? And now you can, you can disagree with me if you want, but I'm going to say some things that I, I think we probably all agree on. But we all want a healthy nation, okay? We all want a, a safe nation. We all want a nation that's prosperous, right? Okay, so then that's it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to go any further. If we can agree on that, then understand this. To have a healthy nation, what we have to have is a thriving church. A church that fully embraces the message of Jesus for this life and the life to come. A message that, is, uh, that impacts the culture of a nation. A thriving church is how we get a great nation. That is truly the answer. And I'm not talking about a thriving church that, that's not afraid to get out and picket and protest and do whatever. That's not what I'm talking about, a thriving. I'm talking about a thriving church that carries Jesus' message. Jesus' message, not this mixture and matching of Old Covenant and New Covenant and this blended theology that's become so tainted that all it does is hurt and confuse and scare people away, but a message that Jesus delivered that was so irresistible. Irresistible. How could you not want to be a part of a group of people who loves you so much? Jay Knight is making a video. He's doing a mini documentary over our church. He's got to do it for his class in uh, college. And as he's doing this, he's been interviewing us about the beginning of the church and all this. He was at my house and he asked this. He said, uh, if you had one, if you could say one thing to the entire world, what it, would it be? And immediately my thought was, that is the easiest question anyone could ever ask me. If I had one message to say and everyone in the world would hear it, it would be this. That Jesus is so absolutely in love with you right now, right where you're at. He could not possibly love you more. And he will never, never love you less. He loves you if you're in the middle of a divorce. He loves you if you're in the middle of a, a lawsuit. He loves you if you're in the middle of addiction. He loves you if you're in the middle of prostitution. He loves you if you're in the middle of whatever it is. Jesus is crazy, madly in love with you. And you can't do squat about it. That's the message I wish I could deliver to everybody in the world. And it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And that's the message that we're supposed to pass around. <coughs> but to have a great nation, Jesus defined great for us. And he turned it upside down. His disciples, they're all arguing. And they're like, Jesus, so who's the greatest among us? You know, who's the best? You know, Jesus. You know, I mean, you know remember that one time that you were thirsty and I gave you, you know, remember Jesus? I stood there with the water beside you and I gave you water and you, you took the water, Jesus. I mean, I, so who's the greatest now? You remember that? And, and, and then they start saying, well, Jesus, you know, here's what we're saying. Okay, here's what, let us break it down. When you actually become the king of all kings, and you're basically unveiled as the Messiah, here's what we want to know. Who's going to sit on your right, and who's going to sit on your left? So just tell us that. And Jesus says this, well, that's not the way it works, my kingdom. Okay? That's the way it works in your world. That's the way it's always worked in your world up until now. 
Okay, so now things have changed. It's always been this way. It's always, always, always been this way, forever. It's always been might makes right. Whoever has the gold makes the rules, okay? It's normal to own somebody. It's normal to enslave a whole group of people. That is normal. It's all about power. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it's been in your family. That's the way it's been in your workplace. But Jesus flips it all upside down. He goes, but listen, if you want to follow me, If you want to be a part of me, what I'm doing, what I'm establishing, then you need to remember this. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He gave his life. He came to give his life as a ransom. So if you want to know how to follow me, what it means to follow me, is to serve. It's to serve. You follow me. And that's why, that's why he says, he's telling them, if you do this and you follow me and you learn to serve, when we do this together, we will change the world. And they did. They did. This is why being rich actually is a big deal. It's a big deal to be rich. This is why being generous in in our communities is actually a big deal. That's why being generous in our church, it actually is a big deal. That's why purchasing this building is actually a big deal. That's why expanding the exchange beyond our borders, beyond our reach, is actually a big deal. The exchange and the vision of the exchange is so much bigger than this building, and it's actually so much bigger than this property, but it's about establishing other groups of people that have our DNA, that understand our culture and understand the message that Jesus is proclaiming to the world, and it's growing. That's why it is a big deal. And I think Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 5 when he said it like this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it made be made salty again. In other words, you're the salt of the earth. If, if you start to blend in, if you, just, if you just start to go with the flow, okay, the reason you add salt is because it tastes bland. It's just normal. There's nothing stand. You add something that stands out, that brings flavor. And he says, so if you just go with the flow, if you sit back, if you never make a difference, if you just take this message and you just hold on to it, then you begin to lose your saltiness. And if you lose your saltiness, you're no good to anyone. He goes on and he says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, these people at the beginning of this movement, they had no idea what they were a part of. They had no idea the revolution that they were a part of that would actually change the world forever. He goes on and he says this, you are actually the light of the world. And they've got to be thinking, no, we're not the light of anything. I mean, Rome, they're the light of the world. They are the empire. They, I mean, <coughs> we're constantly under their oppression. They rule everything. We're not the light of the world. You're telling us we're the light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. You're the city that said, no, Rome is. Rome is. He says, you're the light of the world. And he goes on. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, you, you are the light of the world. You is we, not me. It's us. Okay? You are the light of the world. 
we are stewards of this incredible message of Jesus. We are stewards on how we pass this out in the world. Let your light shine, and when you do, others will see your good deeds. Listen, when everyone else is running away, you run in to help somebody. If they're running out of a village because there's a plague, you be the one running into the village because you're going to help the sick, pe- sick people. You do the things that no other Christian is wanting to do. You accept those that that no other Christian is trying to accept. You be the church that no other church is like. And he's saying when you do these kinds of things, people will see those deeds, your light will be exemplified, and you will glorify your Father in heaven. We are stewards of the faith of this generation. We are stewards of the faith. We can't just sit back and take what we can get. Right? We can't just come to church over and over and over and over and over and just do the same old, same old, same old and expect anything in our world to change. We're stewards of this. Will we just ride the sideline and and just sit back and go, well, I mean, at least I'm good? Or will we go and try to make a difference? The church has to shape the conscience of our neighbors and our communities. It's really hard to wrap our minds around this. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus launched something new for the ages. 2,000 years ago, he launched something new for the ages. He launched something new for you and for me. Let's put it in perspective. Four years ago, we launched something for this area. We launched something new. And I'm convinced that what God started, God's going to complete and he's going to see it through. But your involvement in in this church and doing what God's asked us to do is a movement that literally can change the world. See, as I say that, some of you go, yeah, our world's in bad shape. You start immediately thinking about how impossible it would probably be for this group of people right here to change the world. That's kind of the impossibilities I'm trying to talk and paint a picture for of them back then. When they're standing in front of Domitian and they're telling him what it looks like in the future. And he's going, there's no way. Let me tell you something. This church is going to be a part against all odds. And, and it's even impossible to exaggerate. Against all odds, the church changed the world once. We face our own obstacles. We have a fractured government broken families, broken people, and here locally, even in our church, we need a permanent home. But against all odds, this church, I'm talking about the exchange, will be a part of changing the world back once again. So let me charge you with this in closing. To use the words of Paul, because I think he said it the best in in 1 Corinthians, he says this, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. This is battle cry. This is war lingo right here. This is war talk. He knew this is not going to be easy for them to move forward and to advance, but he's saying, stand firm. Be committed fully to the work of God. Be committed fully to what God is doing in the ecclesia. And when you do that, know this, that your work will not be in vain. We know this to be true because the men and women that he said this to, and he said, stand firm and 
commit fully, they stood firm and their work was not in vain. How do I know that? Because we're here. We're here in the church. We are a part of the ecclesia. On a Sunday morning, we randomly set our alarms and we got up from all different areas. We got kids ready or whatever. We brushed our teeth. We took showers. We all got in our cars at all different areas and we drove to this one central spot. And in this one central spot, we stopped everything in our lives so we could acknowledge this one rabbi teacher this one guy who made all the difference in the world. See, why did you get ready this morning? Where, why did you get in your car and, and make the effort to even get to this place? Because there was a group of people who stood firm and they were fully committed to the work of the Lord. And he promised them, when you do that, you know this, that your work is not in vain. See, we could think that this church, that church in general, and this church especially, is just going to last forever, that's going to go on and go on generation after generation. But let me tell you something. If the church doesn't get things back in order, it won't last forever. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news or whatever, Mr. Gloom and Doom, but the church in America, the way it's going, it's not going to be around much longer. I mean, the way that we've turned on people and groups of people and we've totally twisted and mixed up the message that Jesus intended. And until the church, the real church, the real ecclesia gets everything right, and I'm not talking about getting right with God and repenting and all that. I'm talking about getting the message right. Getting the message right. And when we get the message right, the Bible, he says this, and I speak it to you this morning. Stand firm. Commit fully, fully to the work of the Lord. And I promise you this, you will know that your work is not in vain because there are people years and years and years into this future. Years into this future. Hear me. I'm saying it. I'm giving you a code talk here. We'll explain it later. But way down the road from here, there are people who are dependent upon you standing firm now. If you want the ecclesia, what Jesus established to continue to be around for your children and your grandchildren, we got to get it right. I mean, don't you agree? We got to get it right. I mean, I can think of, I can think of, I could probably name 20 churches right now that I remember growing up and knowing who they were and, as a kid that are no longer existent, that they're not there. The doors are closed, it's shut down. I could probably name more if I sat down and like went town to town and thought about a lot of these churches, but I could name a lot of churches that no longer exist. Why is the church irresistible? It's because we've really missed the message. When we get the message back right again, the world changes. The world will change. We were talking this week, Adriana was in, in her office, and, and, and I don't even remember how it came up, but I'm just going to say this so you can not like it or like it or whatever, I don't care. But um, the, the June 22nd 
we were looking at our calendar and looking at things coming up in the future. June 22nd is the gay parade here in Houston. And we were talking about how awesome it would be if our church was there and we were wearing t-shirts, giving out free hugs, and I I wore a t-shirt that said, Pastor Hugs. If you need a hug from a pastor, I'm here and they're free. And having some of you stand there that are giving mama hugs, dad hugs, and brother hugs, and sister hugs. Because the church has missed that. The church has missed that opportunity. And we've failed. And the church that I'm talking about, that I'm referencing right here, Jesus's, that he established, Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I could save somebody. That I could give somebody. And that word saved is not what you think it means, but he's saying so that I could give somebody life. So that I could introduce somebody to Jesus that would change their life forever. We've missed it, church. As a whole across the nation, we've missed it. And I'm asking you to commit fully, fully with me to preaching the gospel and going back to what Jesus established for this planet. I'm in. And it's going to cost me people. It's going to cost me people at this church because there's people that aren't going to understand why I'm in because they're going to come up with all these verses in the Bible that they pull out of context and they're going to try to bash me with it and tell me I'm wrong and I'm okay if I lose people because I have one mission and that's to love unconditionally unimaginably everyone that I can possibly love And Jesus tells his disciples at the end, he says, and by this, everyone will know that you're mine because of your love for one another. That's who the exchange is. That's who we are. And it's something we need to be proud of. And it's something we need to stand firm and we need to preach. We don't need to be bashful. We don't need to sit back and be silent. We need to stand up and go, this is who I am. I am the exchange. I was telling somebody this week in my office, when we came up with the name, the exchange, I had no idea it was so prophetic. The exchange to me meant something else way back then. Now it means something completely different. The exchange. I'm exchanging everything. 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 I've exchanged everything that I've always thought and believed and and whatever for, for, for one thing, and that's his purpose. For the same thing the Roman Empire did, they advanced his kingdom because of his purpose. That's the exchange. We stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to examine your own life. And uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to close this out in prayer for just a moment. 
But I'm going to ask you to look at yourself. Examine yourself and go, you know what? Am I ready? Am I ready for this, this mission? I mean, when he says that word, stand firm. I don't think it's a little sissy uh, word that he's using there. I don't think it's with a sissy voice. I think he's, he's proclaiming, stand firm. Stand firm. Are we ready for that? Are we ready to make such an impact on this community, on this world, on this generation? So for just a moment as I pray, I want you to just look at yourself and say, God, I I commit myself to you fully. I commit fully to your work, to the kingdom work, establishing right here on earth. We're not praying for your kingdom to come one day. You already said, when you were were resurrected from the grave, you said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's already here. God, let let me live it out loud. Let me manifest it live, in person, what that kingdom looks like. Will you just pray? Just just check your own heart for a moment for this, this mission that we're on. Father, God, man, I am so, so crazy in love with you, Jesus. God, the more that I've, I've, I've dove into this, this season of my life, the more I've looked into this whole series of irresistible and, and looked at who you are and what you've established in your kingdom purpose for us, God, the more crazy in love I have fallen with you. God, and and the more in love I I fall in with you, God, the more I want to be like you, the more I want to act like you, and I want to talk like you, and I want to see people the way you see people, Jesus. I'm so tired of having my own agendas and my own filters, God, but I need your filter. I I need the Jesus filter in my life. God, and and when I have that filter in my life, everything changes. My temper changes. My attitude changes. My response to my wife changes. My response to my kids change. My response to neighbors change, God. God, when I get that filter, your filter, Jesus. So, Father, I ask right now all across this place and those that are watching online or those that are listening, Father, I pray right now that you help Reveal yourself in such a powerful, powerful way right now. God, that we see, we see ourselves in you in a different way than we've ever seen before. God, and I'm asking right now, Jesus, that that you stir, stir that passion that is within us, God, that we will march boldly out of this place and we will be the representation of you to this entire generation. God, that people will not be able to help but to just run into this ecclesia, this body of people because of our crazy, unconditional love for one another. And I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, just worship him for a second. Will you do that? Just love him for a second in your own way. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how thankful you are for everything that he's done in your life and for who he is in your life. Hallelujah. We thank you for that, Jesus. 
We thank you for that, Father. You alone are worthy, God. You alone are worthy, Jesus. And we honor you. Hallelujah. Come on. We 